Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. How's it, Simon? How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks, Nick. How are you doing? I'm great. I actually wanted to ask you who is on. I know we know who's on today because it's uh, advertised, but Tez Pleveniak's, I think he kind of should be like a co-host of ours because this is what the third time we've had him on. Exactly. Um, yeah, we've had a couple of recordings with him and he's great value. And uh, what he doesn't know about stand-up paddleboard, indeed a whole variety of um, paddle sports and water sports isn't worth knowing. And the episode today is particularly good because it covers an area that we haven't talked about previously, uh, which is foiling, um, amongst other things. That's something I really want to try. Do you have any foils lying about? Uh, not lying about. They're rather expensive and certainly not the things that you'd want to have lying about. But uh, but no, I mean, he's really interesting on the subject and uh, really sparked my interest. So uh, here he is, Tez Vivinitz. So today we're welcoming back to SUP FM Tez Plaviniaks, who is editor of SUPMAG UK. And he's no stranger to SUP FM. We recorded a couple of episodes with him back in 2015. One, which was our most downloaded episode. It even beat our Kai Lenny episode, which was um, how to select your first stand-up paddleboard. And uh, the second episode, which is an episode about paddle surfing. So, Tez, welcome back to SUP FM. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem at all. Well, first of all, um, it's been five years since we last spoke. And yep. obviously, a lot of things have changed in those five years. Um, not least, a very belated um, congratulations for adding to your family. You've got uh, two lovely children now. Yep. Um, do they like getting their feet wet? Yeah, um, they definitely do. I mean, that's our whole thing is spending time down the beach, you know, as a family. Um, we're fortunate where we live to be surrounded by water because it's an island that we live in, a little island on the south coast called Hailing Island, for mm -hmm. those who are not aware. Um, and there are plenty of options for getting in the water. Molly, she's now five. Oscar, he's two. And, you know, yeah, both of them love getting in the sea, getting wet jumping on and off paddle boards, messing about with windsurf gear, that kind of thing. And that's not, you know, down to us as parents really pushing it. It's just how we live our lives. So by osmosis, it kind of naturally rubs off on them, you know, and it's something that they actually want to do. Mm -hmm. They actually ask to do it, believe it or not. Although at the moment, because of the way things are, we are, yeah, stuck in the house or rather the back garden, um, until things get better. But, you know, things will get better and mm. we'll get back on it soon enough. Fantastic. Have they uh, caught their first waves yet? Little waves, ripples, yeah. I mean, Molly Molly was sort of, I mean, in fact, Molly had her first wave when she was six months old, you know, wow. um, and that was because she was just messing about in shore break with a board with me and 
she decided to go off on her own, <laughs> albeit <laughs> under my supervision. It wasn't like I just left her. Um, but yeah, so she she she's all over it. And like I say, Oscar, he he's little brother and kind of follows suit. It's it's nice to see, you know. It's nice to watch. We do have to be a bit careful with Molly. I know we were talking just before we started recording, but Molly had acute liver failure last year, which resulted mm. in a transplant. Um, and we do have to be aware of what's going on in terms of any potential risk to her. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, you have a transplant because the idea is that you live your life and that mm. part of her life being around the beach is is intrinsically embedded in her because of us as parents who live that whole beach coastal lifestyle thing, you know, not to sound cheesy, yeah. it's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, they both they both love it, and it, it's nice to see. It'd be nice when we can get back down there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess for all of us, um, you know, certainly in the UK, we're all locked down. And, um, there seems to be a very responsible attitude, I think, for us from stand up paddle boarders. Um, yeah, I know the, large, the government think, yeah. advice is any form of exercise, but I think most people, certainly most people I know, and I know the, the guidance that, that you've put out is that uh, we shouldn't risk um, placing ourselves in any situation which would need the emergency services coming out. So, you know, I find it, I find it interesting. Interesting. The, there are quite a number of hardcore riders, you know, and this is not just within stand-up. This is across a lot of water sports disciplines, you know, much more hardcore than any of us as everyday, you know, riders, if you mm. want to call us that. And very early on, they all were quite vocal about the fact that they were going to abstain and, and, and not you know, do anything surrounding the sports that are effectively their livelihoods, their jobs, you know? And I think yeah. people like that are abstaining and not not doing the thing. You know, the rest of us should take note because there's, there's something there, you know? And I don't want to get all mm. preachy about stuff. It, it People make their own decisions and choices, you know, adults, they're free to do what they want, but actually... In, in in the times that we're living in at the moment, I do think personally it would be a very selfish act um, to go out because it's connecting the dots. It's not just about what happens to us as individuals or could potentially happen to us as individuals. It's what the knock-on effects of those happenings could mm. well be. And that's the thing that some people in the early days of the whole COVID-19 thing sort of missed a little bit but I think by and large over the last couple of weeks as it stands for want of a better term people have wound their necks in and now not you know mm, doing exactly. things well re- reality reality kicks in doesn't it and yeah. I think the other thing is anyone who spent any time in the water knows that you know unexpected situations are just that they're unexpected and uh, you know it doesn't take much to, to cause that additional stressor so but it, you know yeah. certainly from from the circles that that I run in, you know, I think everyone's taken a very sensible uh, approach to it. Stayed in um, and doing their bit for the uh, for the NHS, which obviously we're all all trying to do. Yeah, so. Yeah. Moving forward onto uh, onto SUP, I mean, five years it's been since uh, since we last spoke to you, and I know that um, that in one of our first conversations we talked about a quote from Laird Hamilton who said that um, he saw SUP as the next big thing, yeah, and uh, he thought that he could see it as being bigger than surfing, yeah. Where do you think uh, SUP is on that on that sort of uh, balance at the moment? 
depends what area of stuff you're talking about, I suppose. Um, mm. I think, you know, sup surfing, sup racing, they're, I wouldn't necessarily say on a par with one another in terms of participation. In fact, sup racing has arguably dropped off in the last couple of years in terms of numbers. Sup surfing sort of around the same uh, sort of level maybe but it's not that you'd go to a beach certainly in the UK anyway you'd not go to a beach in the UK mm. and be inundated with paddle surfers which was one of the fears uh, expressed mm. by the surfing fraternity sort of back in the early days of of stand-ups you know sort of renaissance if you like um in terms of recreational paddling and by that i mean literally just going out afloat on the water um you know numbers are fairly high i think inflatable stand-up paddle boards have got a lot to you know say for that you know being able to get hold of a board that can fold down and are yeah. relatively affordable um, you know, infinitely transportable and all that kind of stuff, regardless of whether people actually do deflate them or not, you know, forget all that. Mm. But the actual inflatable market has, has been responsible for sort of pulling people in. I think numbers are fairly healthy. I don't think, you know, it's not going to disappear as a sport, as it were, if you want to call it a sport. I mean, some people pr probably wouldn't even call it as a sport. That's the thing. You know, it's just something that they do when they go to the beach and only even maybe a handful of times a year. Um, you mm. know, out of that handful of people that do get involved via the inflatable route, the, the hope is that one or two maybe would then progress on, if not, you know, to buy something more performance orientated in terms of kit, maybe they'd, you know, they might still stick with the recreational paddling. They just might buy a touring board, for instance. But actually, the hope yeah. is that they progress onto one of the other disciplines, you know, and, and sort of maybe get mm -hmm. a bit more performance about it. But actually, if they don't, they don't. It's it, it, it's fine. Yeah. In terms, so maybe in terms of the quote that Laird put out initially, is it bigger than surfing? I don't think that's the case. Certainly, as it stands. Uh, it's more accessible than surfing, that's for sure. Um, mm. yeah. the, other, the problem is, of course, you know, over the last couple of years, other things have come into the mix. You know, the hydrofoil thing, I do a lot of foiling myself. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the people, what you would consider to be the hardcore uh, elite, if you like, that were once pushing stand-up really hard, like lead, you know, like the whole open yeah. ocean paddling thing, downwinding, which never really caught on in this country. Um, you know, surfing again. I think a lot of the guys, girls, guys and girls, that were sort of pushing it have, have diverted their attentions away to maybe foils. And, of course, more recently, you know, the whole wing surf, wing foiling thing has come in. Um, yeah. And that, again, is sort of diluted and, and distracted away from SUP. You know, people who SUP yeah. still love it. And, and in fact, I was doing another uh, podcast, funnily enough, with, with, with somebody the other day and talking about this, this, this very thing. You know, the act of standing on a paddleboard, it's really hard to convey to the onlooker and those not initiated the feel mm. of, of what it is. But just standing yeah. on the board, as you well know, because you do it, Mm. standing on a board 
you know, being on the water, paddling around a little bit, nothing too hardcore. The feeling is 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 joyous. Is that the word to use? I don't know. Exactly. It, well, and, and that's yeah, I mean, absolutely. It engages you on so many different levels, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. You know, I think it's I think it's really interesting what you said. I mean, there's so many different disciplines, and obviously that's something else that sort of emerged over the last um, last five years. You know, it was always sort of racing and surfing and touring and at, um, all of those elements. And and I think when I last spoke to you, windsup was becoming a thing, something which uh, I'm sure that you've got a, a view on. But I just wanted to speak to you about the the foiling because that's very much of the moment and i've seen you certainly on your instagram feed and sort of getting involved there uh, what's the um you know how would one get get started on a on a sup on a, on a foil you know can you get started quickly what's the sort of uh, the, the cycle of skill you need to, to yeah. get up and um i mean i st- i started foiling four years ago now uh and that's windsurf foiling or, or wind foiling depending on what you want to call it um, and I, I sort of around the same kind of time I started soot foiling as well. And the problem with soot foiling is 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 unlike wind foiling. Uh, certainly, again in the UK, is you need certain conditions that not everybody might necessarily have access to, and that is a regular, consistent but slightly low power to some degree mushy wave should we say mm. not everybody's going to agree with this i know because there are probably people out there that have got much better skill than me and and whatever but for, for, for people getting involved in it to start off with you need access to those conditions the problem is with the sup and a foil there is no power source i know you've got your paddle and yes you do see videos posted online of, of paddlers literally going from standstill using the paddle to propel themselves forward and then being able to pump mm. themselves upon foil, I can tell you categorically that is one of the most difficult things you can do. <laughs> I, I have managed it a few times, but yeah. it's when, again, conditions have been pretty idyllic, i.e. totally gussy, flat water, completely devoid of any kind of water movement such as waves, swell, wind or current. And also as well, particular kit, i.e. big, big front foil wings you know to, to help increase that mm. and then you've got to have a decent amount of, of paddling skill as well plus you've got to understand how to pump a board up onto the foil in the first place so flat water foil pumping if you like from standstill using a paddle as your engine really really hard so most people will come at it from wanting to foil in in waves but like i say yeah. you need a specific type of wave i.e the wave needs to peel to a degree or at least hold up um it needs to have some kind of face on it some kind of shape to it but not too much vert because it doesn't need to be it doesn't want to be too powerful and give you too much speed and then like i say to a degree it needs to be mushy as well which sort of you know dissipates that power a little bit but then you've got to be able to surf as well and 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 also paddle surf because that's what we're talking about if you haven't got those foundational skills you know it's not to say that you wouldn't be able to do it but it would be a lot harder um yeah. and then of course there's the other thing about falling you you fall a lot when you foil mm. and you need to know how to f- fall because the worst mm. thing you can do 
is fall in such a way that you then have this big piece of carbon mm. coming back at you to belt you in the head or whatever. You know, the foils are hard yeah. and some are very sharp, as in they've got quite sharp mm. edges. The industry's kind of addressed that a little bit now with some of the more modern foils, and they're tending to round the edges off or sort of, you know, bend them over, if you like, so they're not going to cause mm. much issue. But the fact is, you know, foils are still quite hard pieces of kit and they're big as well and just under you know getting to the point where you understand for instance if you just jump off a sup that's got a foil on so you haven't fallen you just jump off to to come away from your board just the way in which the board keeps going with the foil attached to it the way it sort of floats Mm. and still wants to lift and it's sort of been out you, you know you kind of need to get to a point where you have to understand all that to be able to be safe and then go out in the conditions that are ideal for it, um, not take too many risks, mm. not go anywhere where there are loads of people. I mean, that's the worst thing in the world ever. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I've been in the vicinity of somebody foiling who's fallen off and it's been very close to me. And it, it's, not, it's, yeah. it's not a good thing. When you see some of the really good guys do it, it looks blissful and it can be, um, but it can also not be. And it can also be a mm. real pain in the backside as well. If you're learning, you know, it, it, it takes a while. It, ta- it takes a while. It's, it's actually, it's, it's much quicker. It, or it was for me. And again, I appreciate because I've got prior experience, but it was much quicker for me to learn how to windsurf foil and I don't kite surf, mm. more, but I assume it's the same for the kiter guys as well. It's much quicker if you can do the wind and the kite surf foiling, and then you migrate the skills to sup or even surf foiling, um, because you've already got that understanding of the foil, and and you know you understand where your feet need to be, and you you just have that you know the the, the sort yeah, of intuitive touched. It's not so much intuitive. I don't think anybody's really intuitive with foiling yet. Well, my, it, muscle, muscle memory, I guess. But yeah, it's it's that muscle memory thing. It's it's just unknowing and having the understanding from having had the feeling of being on a foil, how to yeah. deal with it, you know. And then obviously you've got to adapt your skills to sup foiling in waves. Of course, there's damn wind sup foiling as well, which I've done a little bit of, and that's its own thing as well. That's also quite tricky it's you know it it's definitely fun it adds another dynamic and dimension to your existing paddling it can really spice things up on a mediocre day um but actually there's still there's still a lot of scope for just paddling with your board stuck to the water as well for a lot of people and to sort of Give an example of that. Where I live, we have what a lot of people would determine to be a really good sup foil wave. And it it is at times because we also have quite a lot of tide. And unfortunately, having this big dangly carbon thing protruding out the back of your board is, mm. you know, it, it, at certain states of tide, like low tide, for instance, it's it's not really the right thing to go on because you're going to be so far away from where the peak actually is forming that you won't actually have anything to propel you forwards and push you up on the foil. In that case, you're better off being on, particularly when it's smaller, you're better off being on like a, 
on a race board, for instance, and just doing long glides on a race board. And then when the tide yeah. fills in and you've got a bit more water depth, then maybe swap to a foil because you've got the clearance. You know? So, because I've I've seen it, I've I've seen people really just I, I want to suck foil today. I want to go. I want to go foil. I want to go foil. Right, yeah. right. They go out. It's low tide, and then they find that they can't get anywhere near the peak because it's too shallow. And then they're just yeah. floating around. In which case, you kind of like go swap your gear. Go go and get another board. You know, go go and get a race board. Go and get a ten foot six or something like that. Have a bit of fun. And then when conditions do finally, you know, switch on for what you want to do, that's when you can go and get your foil. You know, and that's the thing. It's just it's, you need to kind of be adaptive and and um, mm. you know read the conditions. Well, I think. I th- yeah, I think I mean I think anyone who's uh, used to surfing, you know, I'm I'm not uh, that far away from you, but um, you know, hailing and um, sort of the Dorset coast isn't well known for its um, consistent waves. So I think uh, certainly that's something that uh, we'd both be uh, used to doing, waiting for the right conditions. If yeah. you're not exactly right, then uh, then there's a there's a problem. What what about um, using a wing? Have you uh, have you tried that? Yeah, 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 quite a few times. I mean, I'm I'm not what you call an expert at it by any means, um, for the simple reason that there's only only so much time in the day, and as we've already discussed, I have a family and I have other commitments. You know, there's a guy who lives very close to me who I actually have helped sometimes with the, with the testing of wings because we can't ignore them. They are they are sort of part of these sports now, and I don't think wings will go away either. In terms of how easy are they to use, again, if you've got prior foil understanding and knowledge and skills uh, and then combine that with a degree of understanding of wind sports, so if you windsurf or kitesurf, actually you won't find it that much of a chore, particularly if you're using the right kit. You know, again, it's a a low-power discipline, so something that gives you lots and lots of lift in really low powered conditions so a big foil wing you know is going to help you with that they've got their place um you know you can see again from the videos and and sort of various posts from the likes of kyle lenny and the spencer brothers and you know the guys that live out in maui how they're using them to sort of get out on a mushy day because it's around the 20 15 to 20 knot mark and they're using them to get out to a to the break uh, and then once they're sort of riding back in on the wave, they're just they're just letting the yeah, go. The, the the wing flag, yeah, and they're just then using the power of the wave to keep the, them up on foil, you know. So and and again, the guy who I work with, Kev, he he does that here. He like he'll go out to the end of the sandbar, you know, on the wing, and then coming back in, he's just using the power of the wave. I think again, though, mm-hmm. as with everything, they do need time spent. Um, because you're not just going to turn up and 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 become exactly. an expert. At it. You, you might you might yeah. know, if you've got the prior foil experience and the and the prior wind experience, you might get up on the foil first time. Absolutely. And actually, coming back to wind foiling quickly, you know, if if you've got any windsurfing experience, I always tell people you will learn to windsurf foil quicker than you ever learn how to get in the foot straps, harness, and plane when you were, you know, sort of trying to get all those skills down, when you were learning how to windsurf, for the simple reason that you've got all those foundational skills. If you've got those foundational skills, you you could find, you step straight on a board, bang, you're up on the foot. But but then what you've got to do is consolidate that 
and and become more proficient a pilot um because then what you're trying to do is sustain their flight on foil control your ride height be safe be able to turn around efficiently and basically mm. do everything the foil promises and that all takes practice and time and 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 time practiced in the right conditions and as we know mm. mother nature in the uk doesn't serve us up the most consistent of conditions wind or wave um yeah absolutely. so, it's, so it's, it's, a, it's a time thing you know i, th- I think there are you know there are there are tool for sure and they're another way if you're looking to maximise your time on the water. I think the really interesting thing with with um, with wings is if they can get them to a point where they're efficient uh, for anybody trying to pilot their board stuck to the water, i.e. not on foil. Mm. The problem with them is yeah. at the moment, unless you're using a board that's got some form of lateral resistance around the mid part of the hull of the board, mm. as well as the fin, then the traction yeah. to get upwind isn't there. So what you tend to do is drift off downwind. And a lot, you know, you saw the likes of Nash and, and all those people over in Hawaii when they first came, because again, wings are nothing new. They've been around for ages. Um, but when they, the renaissance of wings came around again, really last summer, they were trying to push the fact that you could use them on a sub without a foil. And you, and you can, absolutely. But if you're flogging these toys to people with no wind experience they're just going to yeah. float down wind all the time and get really really frustrated and i've actually yeah. seen that happen here in in, in my mm. locale as well so i think if the you know if we can develop the kit that's actually applicable to foiling and non-foiling that'd be really interesting you know and if we can develop and if people can develop their skills to make use of them in both environments as well. That would be really interesting. But, you know, they're a good thing by and large, I think. Have you, have you tried one or not? No, I haven't. I mean, but it looks absolutely spectacular. I, I'm sort of, as you, as you know, a converted dry uh, dry land athlete. I would play rugby for God knows how many years. So relatively recent, you know, last sort of six or seven years convert to um, to SUP. But but no, I, I'd love to have a go. I think that uh, thing about landing on the foil, that would uh, that would probably worry me a little bit. I'll tell you something that I, I, I have seen, which uh, looks great fun, is the e-foils. I don't know whether you've seen those. Yeah, the electric. Um, it's, uh, yeah. it's a foil with a with a propeller at the bottom. That uh, oh. it takes some of the joy out of the the skill levels, but they did look fun. We sort of yes and no. I mean, you still have to have a degree of skill because you're still having to control the ride height. You know, with with e foil yeah. as well. It's not just a case of throttle down and throttle up to sort of control. It's it's still weight distribution, which is going to allow you to get that you know, optimum ride height and stay on foil and not crash because you can still crash. And actually crashing when you're doing mm, what? 25 miles, miles an hour. hour. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you, that's still, you're still going to potentially going to come a cropper. Um, I, e-foils, I don't know. I mean, my, my, my own inner jury is out on those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I haven't tried one. Um, you know, yeah. they're, on the, they're on the cards, uh, but I think they're, as as it stands, passing opinion, having not tried one, which may be the right thing to do, but I don't know. I think they're only one step away from a jet ski, really. Exactly. I mean, whenever you put sort of mechanics on it or propellers on it, you know, the purist in me tells me that's sort of taking some of the, the joy out of it. But yeah. uh, but it does look like fun. 
I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, fun. And, and they may turn, you know, a completely benign flat water period into something quite interesting. I don't know. We'll see. So so just moving back to um, to SUP and, um, you know, the last five years and so on, I think yeah. um, one of the things that um, we talked about on one of our sessions was about uh, the industry standard and how various different bodies were, were sort of competing to take control and be the, the sort of official body of stand-up paddleboarding. Um, I, th- I don't think things have changed too much over the I'm last five years. It's got worse. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, I, you know what if you if you want um, a really good insight as to the chaos of governing bodies within stand up paddleboarding, just check out Chris and Sup Racer. Um, you know his his sort of articles on the Sup Racer site, and the, uh, he's doing a blog as well. Um, you know him and some of the guys that he talks to about this, he knows quite a lot about it. Um, it. it it's a bit of a joke, really, and the politics involved is just mind-boggling, but he gives some good insight if you really want to find out all about that kind of thing. You know, we haven't got to a point, really, where there's anybody in control, and actually, that word control, should that really be associated with a sport mm. where the majority of people just don't give a toss anyway? Um, yeah. Probably not. I mean, the majority don't. The, the, I mean, the only reason, I suppose, to sort of you know get an official governing body in place well actually there's two reasons the first one is 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 for for accredited coaching and we have accredited coaching instructor training programs anyway um and then the other one is the olympic pathway and actually is anybody really i mean is there anybody really in a recreational sense bothered about the olympic pathway of sup no probably not those athletes who compete will probably be potentially as well if they've got a shot at maybe getting to the olympics and i understand that i appreciate that you know what i mean you can't knock that sort of aspect but recreational paddlers are just not interested really i don't yeah yeah no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's principally about the coaching side. And uh, having joined the ranks of instructors in the last five years, you know, that there needs to be sort of quality um, around the in- instruction. Certainly, yeah. um, particularly as so many new paddlers sort of get into the. Uh, you know learn their skills and uh, you know certainly it's something that i would recommend for any new paddler regardless of of how often they they get out on the water just to have a session really lifts their appreciation of of those one or two times a year that they actually um do go out there but uh, yeah it certainly seems to be a, a little bit of chaos in the uh, accrediting bodies and uh, doesn't look like that's going to change any time soon but you know as you say um makes very little difference to the to the average paddler who yeah. let's face it is the recreational side that's it. so just just moving on in terms of uh sup sup mag uk i mean i've been a, a subscriber <coughs> to it for for quite a few years and um i noticed that as part of the sort of current reaction to the coronavirus you've uh, put the latest edition up there uh, free on your website i've really noticed though that the the, the SUPMAG uk piece is a bit of a misnomer because um you seem to be covering things internationally far more than than you did before you always had a, a few bits and pieces in there but um but you certainly seem to be covering the rest of the world was that a, a deliberate uh, editorial decision on your part um i mean most things, if you look, 
hard enough have got a UK slant, you know. So we might, let's say, talk to an Austrian paddler about their trip to, I don't know, wherever they decided to go off to, let's say the Arctic Circle. You know, the point being is that's actually a UK angle, believe it or not, because that is knowledge of a potential location that somebody in the UK might go, "Hmm, I quite fancy that. I've got the details there because such and such went to location X and I've now got a base knowledge so I can plan my trip and off I go when I've got all the T's crossed and I's dotted, you know. So it might seem more internationally focused, but it, but it's still, you know, the same as it the same as it ever ever was really. And that is give yeah. the knowledge, give the information to the UK paddler and if anybody else wants to read it and we do have you know a decent audience globally um, yeah. which is which is great I love the fact that we do um, and that's also going to be interesting to them as well you know hopefully yeah um, exactly it you, you can't you can't tunnel vision things you no. you've got to evolve your product if you want to call it a product as the industry evolves with it as well um and for the one with the best will in the world you know talking about paddling on birmingham canal for the 11th 12th 13th time as much as that <laughs> is a thing for people and again i'm not knocking it because i know i've been in that area and i know what it's like now and as a sub destination it's actually a really nice one you know yeah. years they've cleaned the area up um <clears throat> but you know like i say we try and be as diverse as we possibly can and as broad as we possibly can and and cover as many different things as we can you know i i get a bit of flack my way because of some of the things that we decide to include you know really? over the years we've included outrigger um more recently we've included prone paddleboarding um we obviously promote windsup um and yeah. people would say oh yeah that's because tez is a windsurfer um you know and what's obviously <laughs> doing in there well the fact is you know all these sports have been brought ever closer together and there's exactly they're all linked they're all intrinsically linked and if you're mm. any kind of water going person you know of 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 sort then you will be open-minded enough and actually stand-up is one of those sports that has opened people's minds to other opportunities and that's not just other sports. That's where else can I do it? Who else can I do it yeah. with? And so on and so forth. So, yeah, you know, we try and be as diverse. I try and be as diverse and as versatile as we possibly can, really. You know, and if yeah, and that, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. I think it's, uh, it's a magazine which certainly people from abroad should uh, take a good look at because uh, there's so many opportunities there for adventures so many suggestions and uh, you know I just find it it sort of sparks me off all the time so um, you know and and also just to to mention as well Tez um, that um, all your uh, back issues are there to be read so um, anyone in lockdown at the moment can probably uh, and the same uh, UK magazine as well Exactly. Lockdown will probably be finished by the time you uh, you make your way through all of, all of those. So where does SUPMAG UK go next? It depends on the industry as much as anything else. I mean, you know, we are covering wings. We've already talked about that. That is a new thing. As far as I'm concerned, like I say, it, it's part of it. Um, who knows what, what else is going to come out there, come, come out in the future. Um, 
you know, we'll still keep covering the race aspects, the white water aspects. In fact, white water is one of the things that we've probably covered, I, I think, pro- more than any other sub magazine. I, I, yeah. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong on that. I don't know. But no, 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 no absolutely. We've had white water sub covers, countless articles about it because you know as far as i'm concerned that that is an untapped area i've i've dabbled with a bit of it i'm not again anyway hardcore white water paddling um where have you gone oh so i I, there's a guy i know up in oxford um he goes by the handle of wave cloud some people listening might know who dave is um again he's he's quite a he's quite a colorful chap um, but I've been to his local spot, which isn't, like I say, it's nothing particularly hardcore at all, but it, it's just a fun standing wave that you get running down a weir under a bridge, and it's just quite a nice spot to sort of get, you know, I'm not, I don't come from a white water background at all, so I was a bit out of my depth to start with, but then you sort of get the feel of it, and, you know, the articles and the videos are online about that, um, and it, and it's certainly, like I say, an untapped area of SUP, Re- really quite under the radar in fact you know same as downwinding as well yeah. and you know i sort of where do we go as a magazine I'd, I'd love to sort of build upon and do more of all this kind of under the radar stuff as well but again like i say you know time is only so much and we sort of have to do what we do but you know the moving forwards there's there's, there's certainly scope lot, lots of different scope um but yeah, I don't know how the I don't know how the industry is going to evolve now. We've got the wing thing, the hydrofoil thing, you know, and we've also yeah. got the race, the sup, the recreational, the inflatable, and all those are still they're still there. I'm not I'm not sure what new thing could come about. I well, don't yeah, and and certainly that that was that was how I I felt about five years ago. It seems that every every year there's an additional element to it. But uh, yeah, I mean the white the white water supping looks absolutely fantastic. You have to get properly kitted up for that though, haven't you? I mean it's uh, <laughs> yeah uh, yeah river river water is 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 its own thing. Um, particularly moving river water, you know the hydraulics that you find around weirs and and sort of dams and you know again it's something that I know a bit about, but I'm not an expert in. But yeah, you definitely have to have you know the right gear, you know impact vest if you're going to do some serious white water paddling, the right kind of leashicles. That was a whole debate a few years ago. Um, you know even sort of down to whether you wear a wetsuit or a dry suit uh, and that kind of thing and just understanding the environment that you're going to go into but it's an interesting one it, it's an interesting one for sure i don't know why it's never really taken off in this country although maybe i do maybe it's because of the access thing which has mm. all been a bit problematic um maybe that is is what it is uh, i don't know i don't know but you know i mean there's still brands out there like badfish for instance over in the us um Halla, Halla gear they, they sort of i suppose they're the equivalent of bad fish but they they sort of deal more with the inflatable side you know these are like hardcore white water river running sup brands and they put a lot of time and effort into their gear and their gear is good you know um mm. and the riders that they've got on their sort of their roster all know their stuff and it's yeah it's, it's definitely there i mean but then you look at people like <clears throat> dan gavere who was probably still is along with Corin Addison. Um, Corin we've had in the magazine penning 
multiple articles. You know, they're probably the top of the game in terms of the white water elements. But Dan in particular, you know, he's sort of branched off now and he's gone. I'm sure he still paddles rivers, but he's he's gone down, the, from what I can see, he's gone down the whole windfall thing. And he's now sort of getting really involved with that. He's putting out quite a lot of tu- tutorial vids online. Um, you know, he's one of Fanatic's riders and I think yeah. one of the development riders for the whole wing foil thing, I think. Don't, I'm not sure if that's 100%. Mm. But, you know, but other than like Corin and, and Dan, really, I can't. There's not, there's not really anybody else really super high profile doing the white water sort of thing. You know, I'd love it to change. I'd love to see more of it, but. Know, oh, absolutely. It, it, and it, as you say, it's it's locations and uh, and access. I guess uh, I guess like the surf around the UK, there's only um, sort of limited opportunities to go for it. But look, looks like fantastic fun. Yeah. Um, just uh, moving on because uh, you've been very kind with your time today on this uh, um, Good Friday, and yeah. um, so uh, I just wanted to have a. a quick chat or just to ask you about your bucket list so your yeah. sup bucket list right. um over the years we've seen you in so many different locations um enjoying paddle boarding i just wondered whether there were any places in the uk or uh, abroad events anything like that that you really fancied having a, a bash at i don't that's a tough one there's so many <laughs> so so many you know i mean i love maui i've always loved maui we've been and i definitely want to go back and not just for stand-up i mean the whole place is fantastic it's just one of those locations if you're anything to do with anything to do with the water you just need to go there Mm. you know and and again not because that's where a lot of pros are because actually when we were there we saw very very few um but just in terms of the conditions the abundance of conditions you've got for all these different sports you know along the same section of road and i'm thinking sort of into lahaina and 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 going back the other way as well sort of on the south shore um you've just got for the average or everyday paddler you've got like i think i think there's in excess of something like 30 different spots that you can get in look one after the other you know and that's just on that one road and then there's all the other stuff on the north shore you know and and going back like i say the other way uh, yeah, I'd love to go back to love to go back to Maori, definitely. But then I also fancy a place like um, there's been a lot of uh, sort of press about. I think I'm pronouncing this right, Lofoten, which is sort of Arctic Circle way. Um, oh right. You know some of the, the Lofoten Islands up there um, are worth a look. You know, very uh, remote, cold, uh, but mm. you know pristine as well. You can snowboard and surf in the same day kind of thing. Um, We had a guy, one of the pro windsurf guys, who also does quite a bit of paddleboarding, and he does these off-the-beaten-track trips, a guy called Adam Sims, did an article for us. He basically went over there um, with another pro windsurfer, Ricardo Macca, and 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 his girlfriend, I think, went with him as well. And they sort of took socks, windsurf gear, uh, surfboards and stuff and they just had this phenomenal time and it just looked amazing you know absolutely phenomenal um oh, place to be but there's so many i mean i don't even you know i don't even know because i haven't been uh you know the hebrides you know tyree i mean i'm a windsurfer and tyree classic is every year and i've never been um oh. you know 
all of well, some of those some of those beaches are, are incredible oh, on, I mean, spent, yeah phenomenal yeah i mean uh, sky and uh, you know they even have some nice lines coming through yeah exactly you know um but <laughs> but then you know the isle of Wight. i live just across the way from the isle of Wight. i hardly <laughs> know the place you know yeah it that's somewhere again i you know i've got friends who live over there and and they talk about certain spots, and I've seen photos and and things, and I'm like, uh, you know, I just love to get across and get involved in some predominantly wave action. <clears throat> um, yeah, but it's just time. It's you know, it is. It's difficult. It uh, you have fa- you have a family. I've got a family, and I've got a family with a little girl that needs attention, and and it's you know, it, it's kind of what it is, and we have to be fair and central mm. and and also as well these days getting to places and doing certain things costs a fair mm. bit of cash you know and don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not completely monetary focused i wouldn't be working in the water sports industry if i was um <laughs> but you do need some form of, of of finance to get you to these places and then the time to do it as well i mean a friend said to me a couple of years ago, he was like, you're sort of in this this position other than when you go away periodically, it's mm. mainly doorstep sessions that you get. And I was like, yeah, that's right, because of the responsibilities that I've got. You know, I'm not in a position where I, like I used to be, um, where it was, you know, like with Good Friday, as you say today, we would have thought nothing of jumping in the car or the van, booting off down to Cornwall or Devon or whatever, and deepest, darkest Cornwall and Devon, so maybe six, seven mm. hours drive, score a session, you know, for a couple of hours, and then drive all the way back in the net on, on the same day, and then go somewhere different, like tomorrow, and then maybe do something yeah. the Sunday as well. I can't do that anymore. Um, it's just not viable, uh, you know. So as much as I've got all these places that I'd love to get to, it's kind of like as and when, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, exactly. But you got to you got to keep focusing on them, haven't you? I mean, I've got to say, Hawaii Maui sounds absolutely awesome. That's definitely. Yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I mean, we'll still do you know trips and holidays abroad when obviously we come out of lockdown, um, and that'll all be sort of rolled into what we're talking about now. Uh, you know, but it, it 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 might not necessarily be for you know like six weeks, eight weeks. It might be for. Mm two or three kind of thing it's but that's fine you know I, I, it's fine i worked overseas for a long time so I, I did a lot of traveling when i was younger and as much as i'm not prepared to give that up at the same time i did a lot you know so it's all good yeah. all good well look tez really appreciate your time very aware um that you've given up so much time on a on a bank holiday afternoon so um thanks very much for oh, spending time with us today um Keep up the fantastic work on uh, Supmag UK. Just remind us how to uh, to get hold of you and your social media details. I am everywhere on the internet. <laughs> if you can't find me on the internet, there is something wrong. Or you can find my contact details on the Supmag UK and Windsurf UK websites. There's my Instagram feed, which is just my name. There is my Facebook feed, which is also just my name. And if you just Google my name, you will find me 
coming up a bunch of whole against a whole different things to do with water sports of all types. So I'm pretty easy Fabulous. to get hold of. Thanks very much again for your, your time, Tez. Very much appreciated. And we'll, of course, um, attach all of your details to the show notes on this episode. So there we Brilliant. go. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.